Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, the combine came and went, but we are still talking about free agency because that is the deadline that is looming. Will Hernandez, offensive lineman, he has a love for high-tech toilets. That is the stuff of legend. Go ahead and Google Will Hernandez first purchase and let me know what you find. And, of course, the big news today is that the Seahawks are no longer the Legion of Boom. They are the Legion of Gloom. This is the team that is literally falling apart right before our very eyes. Uh, Mar- Martellus Bennett has been officially traded to Philadelphia. Richard Sherman has basically told people he's leaving, and his mom posted on Facebook that her son's no longer a Seahawk. Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill are already unlikely to return due to injuries, and Earl Thomas may even be on the trading block. This could be a whole new Seattle team and one that does not look like your, I don't know, two-year-ago Seahawks team, last year Seahawks team. I was going to say, like, this isn't your dad's Seahawks team, but it's it's not your Seahawks team. It's not your two-months-ago Seahawks team. Like, it's so, uh, it's going to be really weird. I mean, for them to lose, you know, he had Russell Wilson was the only, I mean, once Marshawn left, right? Marshawn left, and then Russell Wilson was, like, the only key identifiable piece on offense that you really look to. And everything else was on defense, and now, like, maybe all of those guys are going to be gone. And it's really, really strange. Like, I, I I don't know what it looks like to have a Seahawks defense out there that doesn't have Sherman and that doesn't have uh, Michael Bennett and that might not have Cam Chancellor and Cliff Averill. Or, like, I mean, the Earl Thomas stuff is less likely, right? Yeah. But, like, they're still, like, taking uh, offers for him. Like, if somebody wants to give up enough, uh, it's just it, the whole thing is is very strange. Um, you know, it, it makes sense that they're pressing the reset button considering some of the stuff that's happened, but uh, it's just going to be weird. It's going to be weird to watch them. It's going to be really interesting when the division is highlighted by the Rams Niners rivalry and yeah. the Car- and the Cardinals and Seahawks are fighting for table scraps in the NFC West. It's the NFL, man. Hey man. Parody. <laughs> Life comes at you right? fast. Uh, Other news in the quick rundown before we get to the free agency mailbag that we're going to tackle this week is that the 49ers are reportedly in discussions or were in discussions with the Broncos to trade for Aqib Tlaib, but that deal is unlikely to get done. Aqib basically wants to go to the Patriots, and he wants to be released in order to be able to pick a spot, and honestly, you can't blame him from a player's perspective, but that means that the Niners are likely, unlikely to, to make that trade and may have to try and go after him on the free agent market. And I think that's fine. Um, you know, it's it's not that I don't like Tlaib as a player. Like, he's been, a, I think, a really good player for a number of years now and um, would certainly help them out. But I don't know that he is better than what's already available on the free agent market, especially so much so that he, it's worth giving up whatever sort of draft compensation um, that you would need to get in order to acquire him. So while going the trade route, you know, typically means that it's more of a sure thing, right? You're not really, uh, you know, bidding against other teams as, as much necessarily as you are on the free agent market. I, I just think that, you know, the odds of them being able to to bring in somebody just in free agency without having to give up the extra draft capital is a route that makes more sense with where they're at right now. Talib is entering his 10th year in the league. His best years were his last two based on Pro Football Focus's grading. He had an elite year in 2016, and he had a very, very good year this year and and rated out at about an 86 which compared to the other corners that we're looking at at least based on last year's performance would definitely put him at the top of that class but of course you have to think of age uh, into you have to take age into account and you also have to take into account the fact that if we were to trade for him we would give up something that is a scarce resource as opposed to giving something which is a non-scarce resource money and for the Niners it's you know good problem to have but you can throw buckets of money at someone. When you start talking about draft picks, you're talking about something very, very different. The other news is that Norwell apparently is going to go to the Giants. That's supposedly a done deal. I mean, who knows? These, what we know about free agency is that oftentimes these deals do get discussed in principle even before that tampering period. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not unusual to hear some of these things come out now. There's actually a really good article in Monday Morning Quarterback about three weeks ago that talked about the true life cycle of a free agent deal. I would very much invite you to go read that on Monday Morning Quarterback because it's very insightful. But the key takeaway was that by the time the tampering period begins, agents for players know really who the top suitors are, roughly what the contract parameters are going to be, and then it's just arguing over the details in that tampering period so that you can get that deal signed as soon as free agency opens. 
And I don't think it's that much of a surprise, you know, Norwell obviously going to uh, New York where there's the Gettleman connection, uh, who, of course, was in Carolina previously. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that he um, would be high on the Giants priority list and that Norwell would maybe be a little bit more comfortable going there to a general manager that he knows, uh, you know, more so than other teams. So, yeah, I mean, I, the idea of it, again, makes sense logically, I think, whether it actually ends up happening. You know, we we see uh, a number of things that appear to be a done deal don't actually end up working out once free agency actually opens. Um, so, you know, it's 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 worth maybe holding out a little bit of hope. But I think there are going to be other options in the interior offensive line market to where this isn't uh, necessarily that big of a deal. So let's get to the questions because we've got lots of questions and we've received many from our listeners. Thank you to anyone who sent a question in. We may not be able to get to all of them, but hopefully we're going to hit a representative sample and, and you'll get your question answered, even if it's not specifically your name that gets called out. But we're going to talk about general topics and we're going to not probably answer as many questions as we have in the past, but hopefully talk a little bit more about the topics that we that we have in front of us. The the thing that I'm most excited about, I think, when we look through these questions is going to be mispronouncing everyone's Twitter handle. You know, if that's all on you. I'm going to put that all on your <laughs> if you've been listening to the Better Rivals podcast for any length of time, you know that we are amazing at names. This is one of the parts of our brand. I can figure out any Twitter name, how to pronounce it, how to pronounce it well, accurately in multiple languages, no less. And And so I'm really excited about the prospects of of mispronouncing lots of names it's gonna be great it's gonna be awesome so let's get to the mailbag right off the top we have questions about vinnie curry vinnie curry is reportedly going to be released and now of course that the eagles have traded for michael bennett that seems all the more likely so the question from wyoming sean a good little softball opening the podcast from wyoming sean he asked now that curry has become available would you sign him and if so what's the highest amount you would go so David, let's let's put let's put Curry in the rubric, right? We wanted tier two or tier three players, that meaning that we wanted a player that you could build around, or we wanted a player that was going to be more of a transition player and, and provide some valuable skill over two or three years. And we wanted it at a position of need. Vinny Curry is an edge defender, and he's still pretty good, so he seems to tick all the boxes. Where would you put Vinny Curry in relation to the other edge prospects that we've talked about so far? I mean, I would put him right at the top of the list. I think uh, from an ability standpoint, I think with where Junior Glad. So, you know, if you haven't listened to the Edge episode, the Edge preview um, that we had, what, a couple weeks back now, um, Junior Glad was kind of the guy that I think from a talent, from an on-field perspective, is the one that makes the most sense, right? You have the top guys in, in Lawrence and Ansa off the market now uh, receiving the franchise tag. And, Gallette was the guy that had shown enough ability that that brought a skill set to the table that the 49ers don't currently have um, that kind of made sense. Now, he came with, I think, a lot of off-field question marks and, and red flags there um, that I don't think Vinnie Curry comes with, right? So I think you're getting probably similar on-field production to what you're going to likely get from Junior Gallette, um, but you're not going to have to deal uh, in all likelihood with a lot of the extra problems that, that Junior Gallette might bring to the table. I think... Curry probably because of that and because of the injuries that Glad had to deal with as well um, is is probably at a little bit of a higher price tag. Um, so I think that's you know part that definitely factors in. But I, I think he, he's definitely a guy that I think the 49ers should be looking at pretty seriously to, to to bring in. Absolutely, I think he immediately jumps at the top of the list when when you look at what he was able to do from a production standpoint. We talked about Ezekiel Ansa's pressures and how they were not very high. Ezekiel Ansa last year had 37 pressures. And Vinny Curry had 47 pressures. His pass rushing productivity was just as high and, and actually a little bit higher than Ezekiel Ansa's. So you get someone who is capable of top 10 pressure on the free agent market. And that's exactly what the 49ers need because the free agent, we, I mean, we said on the podcast, the free agent cover was pretty bare. Yeah. And so now you get something in that cover that you can go out and get. And I think it's a no-brainer that the Niners should very much try and sign someone like Vinny Curry. And I also just learned that he uh, shares my birthday. So Oh, look at that. Cool. If, if that wasn't reason enough, John Lynch, I hope you're listening. But you should I go mean, and duh, get... That just seals the deal, right? David's totally birthday matters. David's birthday twin. It's got to be. It's got to happen. So one thing to note about Vinny Curry is what the Eagles are likely to do with him. And the Eagles are probably going to explore a trade. But if I were a GM, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a trade. I'd wait until he got cut. 
the Eagles are currently over the cap right now. I think they're they're about 10 million over the projected cap. And that cap is going to come due pretty quickly because teams have to be under the cap pretty early in the league year. And that league year has already started. <laughs> like well, it, 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 it's going to March. Start. Yeah. March 14th is the start. And I think they have to be on the 14th. Yeah, yeah, on the 14th is when the league year starts and I believe like it's it's weird because the offseason stuff is strange because your rosters are larger, right? You're going to 90 man roster. I think like your top 51 or something like that yeah. has to be underneath it. Uh I I forget exactly the details because you don't technically need to be fully under it until you cut down to 53, right? But yeah. there there is some sort of yeah, stipulation there that um the top so uh, so many number of players need to be under it. And with Vinny Curry, if the if the Eagles were to cut him right now, uh, or rather, if they were to trade him right now, they would have to eat a $6 million cap hit in dead money. If they designate him as a post-June 1 cut, which means that they cut him now, but they basically designate him as a June 1 cut, it's something that, they, that the Players Association negotiated into the collective bargaining agreement to give veteran free agents more of a head start in negotiating with teams so they would, didn't have to wait until June but the team could still get some cap savings out of it. The Eagles could actually take that cap hit and lessen it to two million. And so I think the likely scenario here is that they designate him as a post June one cut, let him go, and then Vinny Curry can go and sign with whomever he wants. If they trade him, they have to eat that six million dollars, and they and they can't trade him until after June one if they want to lessen that to two million. So if they want to see that cap savings right away and they want to get under the cap, they're going to have to do something pretty soon with Vinny Curry. And the more likely scenario is that they release him with a post June one designation, and that means that the Niners should be going ahead and, and making. I'm, I'm, I, you can't see me, but I'm doing the make it rain <laughs> signal here uh, because they should go ahead and pay him some money. And so the second part of the question was, you know, what's the highest amount that you'd be willing to go and and pay Vinny Curry? I mean, I think you got to look at what he was scheduled to make this year as kind of a, a starting a rough starting point for that, right? Which was just over nine million dollars. Um, was going to be his cap hit for this season, uh, or was his that? Excuse me, was his average uh, value in the, in his current contract right there? So I think that is kind of the ballpark that you're working with. I mean, that's well below. So when we've been kind of going through these positional previews, the mid level contracts are kind of falling right around fifty percent of what your your top of the market players are going to get. So right now, Von Miller is kind of that guy. Uh, it, at the edge position, but it's really it, it's about seventeen to nineteen million are your highest paid edge players. So it, it's going to be, I think, right around what he was scheduled to get makes sense. It's likely going to be a short term deal because uh, he is going to be thirty by the time the season starts this year, uh, and, and kind of coming off of that where you're cut. I, I don't know that you're going to necessarily come out and command like a top end contract w- with where he's at in his career right now. So I think something in that kind of nine to ten million dollar range on a short-term deal makes sense so Vinny curry definitely someone we're looking forward to hopefully talking about signing when the free agency period opens because he immediately becomes the coveted option at edge when you take all the other tags into account and the the lack of really talent at the free in free agency for the edge position so let's get to our next question and this is going to be from steven olson it's about tiering potential free agents so he asked a couple of questions and he said, you know, given Norwell's age and skill and production, would you qualify him as a tier two player or tier one in our system? Now, if you haven't listened to the roster breakdown where we evaluated the Niners roster, we kind of created some tiers for where we saw players and where they fit. Tier one is going to be the core players. These are going to be the players that, that you consider elite, that you build rosters around, especially around positions of value like edge or quarterback. Tier two players are still very, very good players that you build teams around, but they usually fill a very, very specific role. And and so, you know, for Norwell, I think I would probably put him a little like it's it's tough because he plays a non-premium position, but I'd probably lean towards putting him in tier one simply because of his age and because of the contract dollars that he would command. I think that if you're going to commit that much money to someone, especially at a non-premium position, you better hope that he is a, an elite core of your team um and so far he's proven that that is indeed how he has played and how he will continue to play but it's very very much on the fence because he plays a premium he plays a non-premium position yeah and i think that non-premium position um designation kind of tips him more to the the tier two player for me i think he's like a very high-end tier two player right he's a very talented guy uh we talked at length about 
um, you know, how good of a player that he is in that final positional preview episode. Um, he brings a lot to the table, right? There's a lot to like about his game, but ultimately having, uh, you know, even, even the best guard in the league still isn't as valuable as a number of other positions. So, uh, for me, that kind of bumps him down just a little bit. But yeah, obviously, you're you're very happy with an Andrew Norwell quality player on your roster. All right, David, quick speed round. Where would you give me your quick tier for each one of these players? Allen Robinson. Two. Sammy Watkins. Three. Josh Sitton. Two. Malcolm Butler. Two. Jermaine Johnson. Two. Yeah, I can't say I disagree with any of them. I might put Allen Robinson depending on how he plays like that's the only one I would consider putting close to tier one. Um, yeah, I think all, I think most of those guys, right. Especially at cornerback, like cornerbacks, I think maybe the toughest one, um, there to deal with, but there's not, nobody comes without question marks at at that spot. Right. So Butler, you have to deal with, okay, he's kind of coming off a relative down year for him, had the bench into the super bowl, you know, so you have some question marks there. Tremaine Johnson, it's that, you know, he's a very talented guy, but hasn't really put it all, put together. It all together for top end production. So there's some projection there. You're hoping that a scheme change and something that fits his skill set a little bit more will kind of get that top end production out of him. Um, but there are question marks with both guys. So I think you're signing them as tier two players, right? You're, you're almost certainly going to give um, nearly all of those guys long term contracts, right? That commit a significant amount of money to them. But I think they kind of need to play themselves into that tier one category. Yeah, fair. Makes sense. All right. It's sad panda time. Uh, Steve, who actually did us a favor. Steve, longtime listener, knows that we're great with names and gave us a pronunciation guide. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Uh, his, his pronunciation guide is it's Steve Bazicchio, which is not how I would have said it at all. Nope. For the record, I would have said uh, Busicchio. Something like that. There's a lot of C's and H's in there. But Steve asks, what free agency signing would disappoint you the most? And luckily, the market removed a lot of those options for us. <laughs> I yeah, thought- I I mean, that's the thing is, is so I mean, we I was, uh, you know, texting with you about this, uh, what, a couple days ago. And it yeah. was like, this is kind of great because a lot of the uh, potentially very disappointing, very frustrating yeah. decisions that could have been made, you know, we don't know if they would have happened, but that there were potential outcomes, they got flat out removed. And I, so I, I think that they're in a much better situation um, with a lot of the players that got tagged that would have yeah. been, I think, a little bit risky. I think Ansa was the guy for me where I would have been like a huge eye roll and just would have been like, oh. Just because it would have meant, like, a lot of people would have been like, yeah, we got our edge. We got our double sack guy, our double digit sack guy. And, and it, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would have happened. I think he would have Ansa, been a huge bust. Ansa was, would definitely be up there. Um, Le'Veon would have been higher on the list, but I honestly don't think that there's, was even a small chance that that was ever going to happen. No. Even if he became available, I'm talking about it. So, like, there's obviously already, there was a small chance that he was going to hit the market to begin with. Um, but even if that happened, uh, given everything we know about Kyle Shanahan, about Bobby Turner, the running backs coach for the 49ers right now and longtime Shanahan running backs coach, uh, they, they have never been, uh, people to invest heavily at the running back position when it comes to spending top dollar or spending high draft picks. Um, so I think it would have been very out of character and incredibly surprising for them to go after that type of guy, but he would have been. Uh, certainly up there because, I mean, he's going to get just an absurd amount of money yeah. that doesn't make sense for that position. And Jarvis Landry would have been another one for me that I would have been like, oh, but he got tagged. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah. All so of I, the really bad options are no longer really options. Yeah. I, I don't know that unless the Niners did something stupid like sign a free agent quarterback at, you know, top dollar money, which is not going to happen. Yeah. The the I don't think the options are going to make me all that sad out there because even if you spend top dollar on something like Deion Lewis, I think that's great, even if it puts kind of our running back cap in, in a little bit of a disarray. But I still think he's a fantastic player. You look at wide receivers and none of those make me super upset. You think of like even the Marquise Lees of the world. I'm not I'm not mad about that. Um, so so I think it might be once you start getting into that kind of like mid bargain area of wide receiver where you take snaps away from one of the big three for a redundant skill set. I think that would probably make me a little like eh. um but there's not really a free agent that I'm staring at right now on this list where I'm like, I think that's a really, really bad decision. I think um, 
it would have to be at a position that that wasn't as important. So I, I right now what I'm thinking is like overcorrecting at linebacker and going in and giving somebody a Malcolm Smith type yeah. of deal, right? Um, I know Avery Williamson is somebody that uh, that fans have brought up the Titans uh, linebacker who's been a very good run defender but doesn't really bring anything to the table from a, a pass standpoint, pass game standpoint. Um, I think somebody like that, if they decided to go and get uh, a position where, you know, something that we haven't really paid a lot of attention to because it is a more non-premium position, if they went that direction and felt like they had to give a more top-of-the-market contract that just really wasn't wasn't worth it. I think that's the direction that would be really disappointing and frustrating for me. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about linebackers later. So let's let's table that for a minute and let's go to our next topic, which is going to be affectionately called Bafalicia. Because Cully, Internet Nitwit, easy to pronounce. I think I may have just picked the questions that were easy to pronounce. Perfect. Uh, but Cully asks, which 49ers free agent will be the first to get signed by another team? So this one's tough because I think Eric Reed should be the choice. Yeah, by Eric little. Eric Reed is by far the most talented player that that plays a position that he can come in and help somebody immediately. But I don't think um, it'll be Eric Reed. But Eric Reed, of course, you know I think uh, God, there's a lot of stuff coming out about owners saying bullshit um, that just doesn't bode well for Eric Reed and and kind of where he stands on things that uh, are, I think are controversial right now. Whatever. They're all, Whatever. They're all under discovery for Colin Kaepernick. It's, so. fucking, it's fucking dumb. Um, so Eric Reed should be the option. I think, I mean, it's between him and Carlos Hyde. They, they really don't have a lot of other free agents that are going to be guys that are getting yeah. signed. I on, think the market, the market tells you that there aren't very many top dollar options at running back. And I think Carlos Hyde is... He, him and Dion Lewis, depending on what you want out of your running back, are the top two options. Yeah, and and I don't know that Eric Reed, even though he should be one of the top two options, I don't know that he's considered one of the top two options at the safety position right now. And so I think that when you look at what the market says, it's it's going to be Carlos Hyde. I think he's going to be the first one that gets signed by someone else, and hopefully he goes to a team that runs a lot of inside zone because that's what he's really really good at. And if he does, he lands in a great spot. And, and hopefully they also have somebody that can come in on third down. Exactly. Because uh, that's not exactly what Carlos Hyde does all that well. So it's Carlos Hyde with honorable mention to Eric Reed because that's the guy who should, based on talent, be the first guy that's signed by another team. So this next question comes from Lukey Walsh, also known as Luke Walsh. He asks, which free agent position buys the most wins? A mid-level guard, a mid-level corner, or a mid-level receiver? corner easy yeah i think it's corner hands down uh, a guard is one of the one of the most non-valuable positions in football and there's even a difference between left guard and right guard like left guard is less valuable than right guard apparently uh, when you look at expected points but when you look at receiver a receiver is someone that can be made by your quarterback just ask eric decker and peyton manning like that's that is you don't pay money for that guy because it's like yeah he's he can catch a lot of balls in that system and that's great for him but you'd rather pay the quarterback. When it comes to a corner, though, you're talking about a, a guy that you have to feel comfortable successfully you know, navigating a lot of different things in the passing game. And it's really dependent on their skill and what they can do well. And so I think that cornerback is going to be incredibly valuable, even if you're a mid-level corner, especially with the way that the, the league is very much about passing right now. Um, it, it's got to be corner, hands down. Yeah, in, in order, it's corner, receiver, receiver guard. guard um, it, it's kind of there. pretty big delta i would say between guard and receiver definitely and i think receiver is you know maybe a little bit closer the difference between corner and receiver and why corner is a little bit more valuable is because corner is hard to find um i think receiver is very valuable and what you're doing and what you're bringing in the pass game uh offensively is incredibly value to your ability to uh generate wins consistently however it's a lot easier to go out and find receivers the positional scarcity isn't really there uh, in the way it is at cornerback. Um, so I think because it's tougher to find, if I know that I have uh, equal caliber talents at both positions, cornerback is going to be more valuable because it's it's harder for me to find that particular player. All right, so let's get to one of the other frequent... This really wasn't a question, but this came up on my Twitter mentions because I posted a tweet that said that I like the idea of acquiring someone like Allen Robinson, but I can't help but think that spending that money on a cornerback or maybe even a guard might be a better option. 
And I got, a, I mean, I got a lot of mentions as a result of that tweet. And by and large, the prevailing sentiment was just spend money on all three. Just sign everyone. So my question to you, David, is can we really afford to sign all three? And if we can't afford it, should we? I think uh, I think a lot of it depends on Robinson in this equation and what sort of contract he demands. Um, if he ends up being in a position kind of like Alshon Jeffrey last year, where he's looking for more of a one-year deal, prove-it deal, to go out and cash in on a bigger extension or um, you know a larger contract elsewhere later, then I think it could make sense to bring in all three. Um, I just think with the roster, with where it's at right now overall, you're not yet in a position where you want to go overboard and, and really feel like you need to get the last couple pieces that are going to bring everything together for this Super Bowl run, right? I don't think they're quite there yet. Obviously, Jimmy's going to help tremendously and getting a full season out of him is going to, I think just having him on board if he can be even near where he was at from a performance standpoint last year, that immediately pushes them into playoff contention, right? But there's still a lot of other holes across the roster, and so I think you don't want to you don't want to put yourself in potentially a bad cap situation in the next couple years when you may still want to have the cap flexibility to go out and get one or two guys that become available um, that, that are going to help you kind of push 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 you over the top and be able to become a legitimate contender there. I don't know that none of like all of these players come with significant questions, right? So I don't know that I feel comfortable really going out and spending all this money on all three of them. Um, I don't know. I would, I be terribly disappointed if it happened. Like, I don't know, probably not, but I don't know that it's like the smartest way to approach things this off season. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a smart approach either because I, even though the team is closer than we anticipated because of the fact that they found a quarterback, it's not as though this team is a piece or two or even three away from being a perennial contender. And and so I think that you still have to slow play this a little bit. And while you have the value and the luxury of front-loading contracts, that doesn't mean you just want to spend all $55 million right now or all $60 million right now and and act like a team that is a couple of pieces away from making a Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl. This is remember a team that was still six and ten, like and it was a positive six and ten. I think Kyle Shanahan had like quote of the month or whatever, and it's like you yeah. make people feel good about six and ten by losing your first nine games, <laughs> and and that makes sense. We have to put it in context. We're not three players away. We're more than three players away, and so let's not go ahead and spend all that money on these three players. Even though I do very much believe that you can win by being aggressive in free agency, being aggressive in free agency doesn't mean you are dumb in free agency. Yeah. I think the the example would be someone like a Patrick Robinson signing for the Eagles, where he had a fantastic season this year, but he signed a one-year deal. That was still aggressive in free agency and that you're going to go and try and acquire pieces and increase your hit rate, but it's not going to spend you know, $25 million on Patrick Robinson over three years. And, and so I don't think that this is a situation where you should go all in on these players, even though if you did spend money on all those three players, you're at what? You're at probably like, 12 or 13 million for Allen Robinson, maybe. If it's on the higher end, it's going to be closer to 15 million. So you're spending 15 million on Robinson. Uh, if you're spending money on a cornerback, you're definitely spending about 14 million dollars. And if you're spending money on a guard like Sittner Norwell, that's going to be another 12 to 14 million dollars. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 45 to 50 million dollars and and that that's that's not an insignificant amount of money to put up in three positions. Yeah, I think the key again is is really Robinson. I I wouldn't be super comfortable giving like long term deals to all three of them. Like that would make me a little bit nervous uh, to to do and kind of wonder about where things are going to be in the next couple of years. Um, but again, if Robinson all of a sudden is like, "Hey, I'm coming off injury. I I don't want to get it locked into anything long term. I'm going to take this one year deal and think that I can really cash in next off season," then sure, because you know again this. If you go up against the cap in just this one season, that's not a huge deal. It, it's when you all of a sudden put yourself in a spot where, well, now I'm worried about being up against the cap for the next two or three years, and that's going to limit what I can really do and the flexibility that I have in free agency going forward. They don't want to get there yet. They they still want to have that flexibility. They want to be able to sign another one or two impact players next year, You know, after what is hopefully 
a good draft that you bring in, right? And all of a sudden, your roster is starting to look better. Okay, now we go out, we spend again next offseason, uh, and, and we're really ready to kind of make this push. Um, if you're giving long-term deals and paying each of these players at the top of their position level, which is, is likely what they would command for a long-term deal, uh, I, I don't know that that is the smartest way to go. Now, while we said this was a free agency mailbag, we did get a couple of combine questions that didn't specifically ask about who we were going to draft or what we were going to do, but they did generally ask combine-related questions, and I thought it would still be fun to answer those questions. So let's get to those. One from Kazu G, uh, Kazuka underscore G on Twitter. He asked, the combine gets a lot of hype, but are there actually any drills or measurables that fans should really pay attention to or take stock in? Um, and I actually replied to him on Twitter because I was at home and I was on the couch and I was like, yeah, I'll answer that question. <laughs> Forgetting that we were trying to save these for the mailbag. I apparently just can't stop the Twitter fingers. Can't do it. It's real. It's but real problem. by and large, yes, there are drills that fans should pay attention to. And it really depends on the position. I think the ones that I care about the most are the change of direction and explosion drills. So you think about three cone, you think about broad jump, you think about vertical and for me, they vary based on position. So when I'm looking at an edge rusher, I'm looking at three cone. And I'm looking at the 10-yard split on their 40. When I'm looking at someone like a wide receiver or a corner, I'm looking at short shuttle. I'm not necessarily looking at just their 40 time. Um, three cone is also probably not a bad one. Um, and because change of direction Depends on the important. type of receiver they are, right? Yeah. So yeah, receiver, you start getting into... Um, what do they do well, right? What, how do they win as a receiver? And there aren't many Julio Joneses out there that can do whatever the hell they want to. Most of them have to win in a specific way, whether that's... So if you're a, a, a player that projects as like a slot guy that needs to be able to create separation, then I think, yeah, what you're doing in uh, the three cone and the short shuttle, right? Those change of direction um, drills there are going to be helpful to identify that. Um, if you want at the catch point, you want to see a vertical. Yeah, you want to see. So I think for your more vertical players, yeah, it's definitely the uh, the explosiveness stuff. So you want to see broad vertical. Um, you know, I think even forty is is more kind of element of uh, of explosiveness. So yeah, I think there are different things um, for different positions that really make sense. You uh, of course want to make sure that you're kind of factoring in weight in a good way. I mean, y- you can kind of mentally do it right. Like oh, okay, I know that a four five is more impressive for a player that weighs 230 pounds and a player that weigh, uh, weighs like a buck 90. So I, I know that those kind of more drastic splits are easy to pick up, but there are a lot of great spots that you can go to online that kind of give you these sort of composite athleticism numbers. Um, you know, we're a big fan of spark and the stuff that Zach Whitman does on three Sigma athlete. Uh, you can go there and get all of the, uh, the results that, um, and it kind of lets you know what percentile of an NFL athlete they are. So if it's, if they're 67th percentile, that lets you know that they're better or as, as good of an athlete as two-thirds of the players at their position. Um, so it's a good way to kind of put the overall numbers and the overall athleticism into context. And that's a good thing to note when it comes to individual drill scores. It's like, yes, those individual drills are great. And I think it wasn't at that Oklahoma corner that like destroyed the three-cone yeah, like put together such a good three cone that people were wondering whether something was wrong during right. the timing of that three cone. Exactly. Like they actually checked to make sure. And they actually, the, the official one was the slower of the two three cone. And it was still like two or three tenths of a second faster than any three cone ever recorded. Yeah, like uh, like so good three cone is usually anything under seven. You know, as you're starting to look, feel pretty good about it. If you start getting guys like in the six eight, so you're like, man, OK, that's pretty impressive. Dude was like a six two eight three cone, uh, yeah. which is fucking absurd which is absurd but then you you look at his and that doesn't mean that just because he can do that one drill well that all of a sudden he's going to be a fantastic athlete or a fantastic corner you want to put that that number and that skill in a composite with everything else to get a full picture of what that player can do as an athlete and that's where spark i think is incredibly valuable and why we prefer that composite metric because it does things like adjust for weight and also compares that player's athleticism to other players at the same position in the nfl so it not only provides you a raw score, but it also provides you a comparison for how they will compare to other athletes. And the key thing for athleticism in the combine is that a good athlete does not necessarily mean that you will be a good NFL player, but good NFL players are rarely bad athletes. Right. And so you want to ensure that the player that you're drafting clears a certain bar. 
in order for the other things to take hold and the other things to flourish that they can do on the football field well. This is why the uh, the Oklahoma linemen that everyone had like as Orlando many of Brown, first, man. Yeah, everyone had as like, you know, first or second round, all of a sudden he ends up testing like he had the single worst athletic test that you could have for some, he ended up yeah, like, he was the, no, he was zero percentile. Like yeah. there, there is not another player in the NFL that is as bad of an athlete at his position. His vertical jump may have been higher if he just stood there and put his arms up like it was bad. So I think the the thing to take away from the combine, right, is for, for whatever reason, there are a lot of conversations that like, oh, it's not the end all be all like. Nobody paints it as that, right? It's a piece of information. The thing that you should be looking at, especially as it relates to the draft, is like nearly all of the information I can get is useful in a way. I have to determine how much to value that. And with athleticism, I think it can let you know a number of things. It can be an uh, an Orlando Brown situation where it's like, okay, now I have legitimate concerns. He's going against some of the best best athletes that our sport has to offer in edge defenders, right? When you're a tackle in the NFL you are going up against dudes that are just freaky athletic on nearly a weekly basis. So if all of a sudden he shows up and he tests at like lower than we've ever seen at that position, you should have significant questions about whether he's going to be able to hold up athletically against the guys he's going to be seeing on Sunday. Or at the very least, um, you got to go and verify that on tape. Yeah, and I think it, it can also help with small school guys. I think Matt Breida is a great example. Sometimes you wonder, you're watching these small school athletes, and there are players that are just clearly better than everybody else at their competition level, right? So somebody like Matt Breida tested incredibly well, um, was the highest-rated spark running back in last year's draft class. That gives you confidence that when he gets up against other NFL-caliber athletes, that he's gonna, he belongs, right? That he's going to be able to be there and not be all of a sudden at a higher competition level and outmatched. So you have to place the proper context on it, but it's absolutely something that's useful. So Jay Book, Jay Novell, Novel, Jay Novel. I'm guessing it's Jay Novel because it's Jay Book. I just, I, I was always saying Jay Novell. Hey, uh, he says he saw, this is another combine question. He saw blue check marks talking about being verified Twitter people, uh, talking about arm length as an issue for Denzel Ward, who's a corner. Dante Johnson and Rashard Robinson both had the required arm length to play outside corner and bombed. Your thoughts on the narrative? Basically, it's like, you know, does long arms, you know, kind of necessitate that they're good at corner. And and this is where, I, you know, I'll go back to something that we said earlier when we were talking about athletic profile versus scheme fit. And I think that there there is a you can have a profile for the type of player you want at a position. But that profile doesn't mean that player is going to be good just because they hit certain measurables and they are six feet and have longer than 32 inch arms doesn't mean they're going to be good. It just means that they have the traits that you want at that position. It also doesn't mean that if someone is a shade below that or doesn't have that, that they're going to be bad. This is why people waited until the third round to draft Russell Wilson, because he didn't meet that height requirement. You're like, well, can't draft a guy who doesn't meet that height requirement. Well, you missed out on a fantastic quarterback. And while Russell Wilson is definitely the exception for the quarterback position, I do think that the difference between you know 31 and a quarter inch arms and 32 inch arms shouldn't be that big of a deal. I think you, again, it goes back to applying the proper context to these things. Can they be useful and valuable? Yes. You look at a player like Akella Witherspoon had, I think 33 inch arms, right? Big wingspan. Um, that is something that showed up on tape, right? When you watched his tape in, in college at Colorado, you saw a lot of plays where on vertical routes, he was able to, kind of overcome maybe getting beat just a little bit and still get a pass deflection because he had that extra reach. You saw him get his hand in there on slants where, again, maybe he was a little bit out of position but had that wingspan to be able to go in there and get his hand on the ball and break up the pass. So there was a very practical application. You have to ask yourself, like, why would I care about these certain criteria, right? The thing that that you're worried about with arm length in this particular scheme is, I want two things. I want the ability to be able to disrupt receivers at the line of scrimmage uh, and get my hands on them and press. And then it's also the, the, again, the vertical routes and being able to play the ball um, when you're maybe not in ideal position. Those are kind of the two big things that that gets you. But if you have a, a, a player, a cornerback in this instance, that doesn't meet those criteria, but can still do those things 
in when uh, when it comes to doing actual football things like that's fine. That still meets what you're ultimately trying to get. And Denzel Ward does it with speed and he does it with explosion. Denzel Ward is a phenomenal athlete. So he is able to make up that ground and not get beat off him because he's got great recovery speed. And I mean, the guy ran like a four, three, whatever, 40. And so this not, is why uh, Malcolm Butler, why we're not like terribly worried about Malcolm Butler being size. a good fit is yeah. because even though he's undersized, the things that you're actually asking him to do on the football field um, that usually is tied together with kind of the the measurables that you're looking for, he can do. And so it, it doesn't matter that he doesn't hit those particular requirements. And this is where we get back to the the idea of there are positional traits and then there are things that you ask a player to do in the scheme. And those positional traits and what you ask them to do in the scheme are usually tied together. But if you watch someone's tape and you can see that they can do the things that you want them to do, if they can cover the deep ball, if they are good in man coverage, if they are good in press, and they happen to have you know a, a quarter inch less in arm length than you want, well, you'd be stupid to not say like, yeah, but they can do it. So let's go ahead and sign them or draft them or whatever. Um, because you have to marry the two. It's, it's another piece of the puzzle that creates the picture of the player that you're trying to project. Definitely. All right, so let's get to some slightly different questions. We always expect, whenever we do mailbag questions, we always expect a question from Alex. He's a dual threat QB on Twitter because he always comes, he comes in hot with the questions <laughs> and we always love his like tangentially related football questions. And he does one again, and it's a Black Panther related question, which by the way, Black Panther, probably the second best Marvel movie in the entire Marvel universe. If we're talking Behind. about Marvel, uh, behind Logan. If we're talking about like Marvel, Logan's not in the MCU movie. Are you sure? Positive. Because it's got uh, Professor X in there. Is this like the X Men? So kind like of the X Men is uh is like technically Marvel, but it's not part of the MCU. It's not okay. tied in with the other films. Yeah. Uh, how about Deadpool? Deadpool is in uh I think no De- Deadpool's no, not part of the MCU, but it's a Mar- that was a Marvel movie, but it wasn't again part of the MCU. I'm pretty sure. Okay, in that case, then I'm not even sure what the MCU is versus not, but it's all the uh, ones like people that show up in the Avengers, basically. If we're removing Logan and we're removing Deadpool, then Black Panther is hands down by far the best movie. Yeah, in I MCU. mean uh, Logan for sure. Deadpool, I may be misremembering. But, for me, um, for me, I just thought it was like basically everything after Iron Man. If it was a Marvel movie after Iron Man and it wasn't one of the weird X-Men ones, it was part of the MCU. Uh, but Black Panther is the best one pretty easily, I think. Uh, I know others are going to be like, you know, Winter Soldier and Thor Ragnarok and all this other stuff. But Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Black Panther was dope. Uh, loved every bit of Black Panther. Um, I think I also really enjoyed uh, most of the Captain America movie. Not The first one was fine. Like, eh. I mean, origin stories are always like kind of eh. Um, is a little yeah. rough, but I mean, Winter Soldier and Civil War were both great. Um, but yeah, I mean, Black Panther is right up there, like probably, probably the best one. Yeah, if you're taking um, Logan and Deadpool off the table, I mean, the original, Black the best especially, one. I mean, the original Iron Man was great. Like, it's it's kind of like yeah. the one that that started it all is is awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, loved it. Well, Alex's question: If you could choose one player on the roster to have the strength of the Black Panther for the entire season, who would you pick? man i don't know so do you so do you add it to i'm gonna like buy time here a little bit um no i've already add it to like a a slightly lower level player to like bring him up or do you add it to like a top level player to really just make him fucking insane no i'm going i'm going premium position and i'm going high impact player i'm either giving it to deforest buckner or, or I'm giving it to Solomon Thomas. Yep. Like, th- those are my two guys right there. Like, basically, there is not a quarterback that could... that there, A quarterback's going to have to throw the ball out at, like, Blaine Gabbard's speed. in Like, like two-step <laughs> drop in order to get the ball out, and that's that. And then we'll let the rest of the team do what it does. Yeah, I think DeForest Buckner is the fun one. Yeah. Uh, dude would just... Oh, my God. He would be, would be amazing. Yeah. But I would say Defoe or Solly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, even Eric Armstead, like Eric Armstead would be fun if you really wanted to like add. Let me bring another like third piece in there. That'd be great. Um, Could, what if we gave it to Matt Breida? <laughs> like it wouldn't be, uh, it, would be it wouldn't be Breida the Cheetah. It'd be Breida the Panther. 
I think no, I think DeForest Buckner is the pick. Yeah. yeah. I mean it would just you you take like an already incredible player and just make him And honestly, there's a piece of me that would give it to Solomon Thomas just to shut everyone up. <laughs> All right, so we've got uh two more sections to get through in the sh- in the podcast before we get to the very end and the second to last one, the penultimate one if you will, is going to be about non-premium free agents. Patrick J Ramula, that's that's two L's, right? Yeah, Ramula, uh asks with how serviceable Jimmy G made our line with his pocket presence, should we really give big money to a free agent lineman? And so this kind of pokes at the idea of lineman being a non-premium position and whether or not we actually need to spend money at that position if we have a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo that elevated line play as he did at the end of the year. So that's the question, right? Do you pay money at guard if you've got someone like Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think you have to. Um, I think this was kind of the tough thing. The reason primarily that we ended up settling on, okay, guard should be maybe one of the two positions that we're really looking to go to the top of the market for um, is because of a lack of other great options at other spots, right? Other more premium positions. Well, I'll stop you there because the question, I, I know that you're saying like we don't have to, or we, but the question is, should we? So the, the question's a little different, right? Well, it's, not, it's not whether we have to or not, because I think everyone knows that we don't have to. But the question, maybe I'll put the GM hat on you, and I would say, would you? I mean, in a vacuum, no. But I think, you know, a lot of the, a, a lot of the argument comes with what else is available, right? So a lot of times you're talking about opportunity costs, and it doesn't make sense to spend on a guard when I can go spend on another position that's going to have a greater impact. But if all of a sudden I don't have somebody available at another position that's more valuable, should I go ahead and spend that money on the non-premium position now, right? I think that's the situation that you're at now. In a vacuum, no, you don't spend top dollar money on a guard if you can help it. But in this particular offseason, with where things are at and where, what the 49ers need and what's available on the open market, I think, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would throw in here would be the fact that the draft is strong at interior linemen. And so it's, it's yeah, I mean, that's, that's totally fair. And and that's another thing to consider. I know we haven't gotten to our draft breakdowns yet, but the, the draft is a strong interior line draft. And so you could make the argument that you don't pay because you end up, you know, drafting a guard in the second or third round that even if it's not Quentin Nelson, it's still going to be a pretty good guard and you don't have to pay top dollar and you can spend that money on Allen Robinson or, you know, whomever it is that you want to pay. So, yeah, if the question is should we really big give should we really give big money to a free agent lineman? The answer is generally no. Uh, but given the year and where we're at, I think if we do, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah, I think pass protection in general is something that is more reliant on the quarterback than a lot of people realize. People yeah. generally put pass protection very very heavily on the offensive line when the quarterback is is a really a large component of that. Uh, and like vice versa, they give a lot of credit to the running back when really I think the offensive line is more important in the run game. All right. So next question in this category comes from Jeremy, Jeremy arc seven on Twitter. Are there any decent linebacker options in free agency or should we just look to the draft for that? And again, this is another non-premium position because linebacker is just not a position that you should pay a whole lot of money to. So the question is, is there anyone in free agency that we should go get or should we just wait to the draft? Um, I mean, there's nobody that I think that should be a, like an, an early day sign, right? There's nobody that they should absolutely be targeting that we got to go get this guy early and pay him hey a significant amount of money. I'm looking at my list here, and it's organized uh, by free agent and pro football focus grade. And I see a name here, Navarro Bowman. He's uh, a <laughs> third highest graded free agent, 85.4, uh, coming from the Raiders. Uh, should we go after him, maybe? Uh, that's 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 I no mean, also ships already sailed yeah that ship definitely sailed other question um, we got i think that we chose not to answer but we'll answer very quickly should we sign frank Gore? the answer is no yeah i love sorry, i man. love frank Gore. i love everything unless you're done. gonna like sign him to like a, a one, one day, day contract. contract and let him retire then yeah like the let's answer do is it no. up so is there anyone in free agency that you that you'd want to go out and get I don't think so. I think most of the guys that are available in free agency right now are really more run first players, right? So I, I you know mentioned Avery Williamson earlier on. Um, I At think this the, point in his career, Navarro Bowman's a run first player. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one guy that maybe makes sense, um, depending on cost, is like Nigel Bradham. 
Um, he's the one guy that is more of a coverage player um, than than anybody else really that's available. That's a, a decent option. Um, so I think he would be like a consideration, but you just can't. I, I just don't think it's worth spending a lot of money upgrading at linebacker isn't going to help you as much as going out and giving money to a top corner or going out and finding an edge rusher. Like that's going to help your defense so much more than, uh, you know, whatever you go and do at linebacker and free agency there, there's nobody that's going to be such a difference maker that it's worth going out and getting. Yeah. And, and I think that if you could probably sign a super cheap free agent or you could draft someone in the, you know, third, fourth, fifth round. And I think that linebacker is one of those areas Linebacker is the defensive equivalent of running back. The skills yep. are not rare, and there are lots of people that you can get to do that fairly cheaply. And when we look at someone like Brock Coyle, Brock Coyle is someone who could come in and play, you know, at the end of the season, played serviceably, even if it took him a couple games to kind of get up to that speed. And and I think if you can find a Brock Coyle or even re-sign Brock Coyle, then you're you're okay for what the defense needs to do. All right, so let's get to the final section of the mailbag, and that's going to be about the dream. We got a lot of questions about what our dream free agent, uh, dream free agent would be, what the dream scenario would be, what the dream sleeper signing would be. So we're going to tackle those three items. And first, let's talk about the question from Matt Cisneros, who asks, the dream free agency scenario this be would be what? We, we kind of laid it out in our last, yeah. in our last <laughs> show, but for those that maybe weren't listening, what would be the dream free agency scenario? So I think it starts with signing a cornerback. Um, our preference is definitely Malcolm Butler, but I think even if they went out and signed Tremaine Johnson, felt like he was going to be a better fit and he was the guy that they wanted, um, that would be fine. They need to go out and get top cornerback help. That needs to be the primary focus there. So you start there. And then I think kind of as we alluded to in, in the previous question there, or a couple questions ago, um, they're really with the the way the rest of the market is set up and strengths of other positions. I think interior offensive line guard in particular is is the spot that also makes sense to go out and get a top talent. I think Josh Sitton is the guy that makes the most sense right now, especially with Andrew Norwell. Um, again, rumored to being a done deal. Uh, it, but, with but the even Giants. Then, but even then, Sitton even without that done deal, I think Sitton's a better value at interior lineman because he would not yeah. come at the top dollar that Norrell would come. And I think you get similar production from both those players. Sure, but you're paying quite a bit less, and more than likely in a shorter deal when you're paying Josh Sitton. So I think those are the two players, or those are the two spots that you're looking to go out. Let me get a, a top end player, and and we're going to pay him a pretty significant amount of money. And then I think you're looking to fill up kind of more bargain type players at a couple other positions. I think edge, of of course, it's tough. There's not a lot of options there. I think, again, Vinnie Curry, Junior Gallette are the players there that um, should probably draw the most interest. Um, But it wouldn't be surprising to see them kind of go and get a couple of lesser known players, right? Get a few guys and see if you can bank on somebody that, that breaks out and can be uh, helpful for you in a short-term situation. Um, I think also some sort of pass-catching running back makes sense. We looked at pass-catcher in general, right? Receiver, tight end, running backs. Um, there's not a lot of great options there either. I mean, you have Allen Robinson at the top, but if all of a sudden you're not going and getting a top-end player at that position, there's not really a lot there that you feel pretty comfortable is going to be an upgrade over the Garcon, Goodwin, Trent Taylor trio that you have in there currently. So I don't know that that makes uh, a lot of sense. Tight end is is really iffy. You have guys like Tyler Eifert um, that are, are certainly intriguing and talented, but come with a lot of question marks. I think somebody like Jarek McKinnon, or if, if maybe his value is depressed, somebody like Deion Lewis, right? At running back could be an option. They really don't have anybody there on the roster right now that is a threat in the passing game. So I think that's a spot you can maybe look to upgrade. So your dream right now is Sitton, Butler, and who else is in the dream free agent? I think McKinnon. So Jarek McKinnon is the the guy if you don't get Deion Lewis, right? Deion Lewis, again, probably going to be, I think, overpriced for what the 49ers should go out and do. Jarek McKinnon brings a a valuable skill set to the passing game that the 49ers could use and is probably going to come a lot cheaper. All right, let me throw this other scenario out at you. So that that's kind of our stated official better rivals position for what it is that we want to have happen in free agency. But let me throw this other scenario at you and, and see what you think. You don't go after a top dollar guard. 
you don't go after a top dollar corner. You go after Rashawn Melvin at that mid-range. And you go after Vinny Curry at edge mid-range. You end up with like a, mid, a mid-level guard, maybe a, like a, a Cluett. Um, and you end up paying Allen Robinson, and that's like your splash free agent signing. So you pay Robinson, you get a mid-level guard, you get Vinny Curry, and you get Rashad Melvin. So one splash signing, three mid-level signings, and that's what you go into free agency, or that's what you go into the draft with. And then you kind of fill in, uh, fill around that with the draft. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, so here's the reason why. Um, and it really depends, I think, on the length of the contract for those mid-level players. Um, generally, I think the mid-area, like the middle class of free agents, are the, the ones that you want to avoid. The place to go in free agency is I need to go and get a guy like at the top of the market that I feel very comfortable is going to be able to come in and make an impact. Or I want to go with the, I'm going to load up on, give me three or four bargain guys at this position and let me see who works out, right? Let me kind of take a chance there that's that's very low risk. The middle guy, the middle middle class players tend to be ones that you're kind of coming in, you're expecting a middle class player to come in and be your number one corner, for instance, and there are just so many more question marks with him. Those are the signings that tend to work, or excuse me, it, it tend to kind of blow up a little bit more often. It's when you're asking a guy to come in and play above what his true talent level is. Um, so I, I think loading up on kind of mid-level players is generally a poor free agency strategy. If you're going to go and spend money and commit money, go and get the guy at the top that you feel more comfortable with. Um, it's it's likely to be a more worthwhile investment, I think. Incidentally, I said Cluett earlier when I was talking about guards. Uh, what I meant was Klein or Muhort. Apparently, I just combined their names. And sure. when you combine Klein and Muhort, you get Cluett, I guess. Checks out. Um, I, I would say that given, given the Vinnie Curry news, if he is indeed released, Vinnie Curry immediately becomes part of my dream scenario. Yeah. And, and I would say Vinnie Curry, and if I have to sacrifice something else... I'm probably sacrificing a top level guard and, and, and I'm getting and I'm getting that mid level, whether it be Josh Klein or Jack Muhort kind of guard to, to kind of fill in that gap. And if I get that edge player and then I get that mid level guard, then all of a sudden someone like a Robinson becomes more of a reality or Jarek McKinnon or, or maybe Dion Lewis. And if we're going to look at more top dollar player then Dion Lewis would be a, approaching that even if his market's going to be depressed. So I would say if I'm going to create an alternate reality for the better rivals kind of free agent dream, I would say it's going to be Vinnie Curry and, you know, pick whatever Klein Muhort guy you want and then Jarek McKinnon and Allen Robinson. In that scenario, I would very much prefer to just punt on guard completely to the draft. I'm not even signing that mid-level guard. I'm going to say, all right, I, I feel comfortable addressing these other positions. Resign Brandon Fusco. I'm going to resign Brandon Fusco and I'm going to go and get a guard um, you know, day two, day three of the draft. Yeah. Um, and and feel like I can get him in there. And then you're again, you're hoping on Josh Garnett in that situation. So I think if, if I'm not going to go and get Josh Sitton, essentially, then I'm waiting. I, I feel like guard isn't important enough, which is, again, totally fine. Uh, that's that's perfectly viable strategy to go with at this point. Um, but you're just waiting. I don't think that it really helps to go after one of those mid-level players. So Ricky McGregor asks, who would be your dream sleeper signing? This is kind of an underrated free agent that you want the Niners to target. I think for me, it's Jarek McKinnon, hands down. I think yeah. he he brings something to the table that the Niners don't have on the roster. And pass-catching running backs add a ton of value to a team, more so than they do as runners. And when you think of what Jarek McKinnon was able to do in the passing game, he was no slouch in the run game, but he's a very, very good pass catching back. And when you watch his tape and you watch his film, you can almost see the passes from Jimmy Garoppolo getting into his hands and him making a couple players miss and gaining yards where there were none before. We love Matt Breida. We are, we are basically like sponsored by Matt Breida at this point. <laughs> but Matt Breida's strength is not a pass catching running back. And there is not, I think, a pass catching running back on the roster and he would bring a skill set that the Niners don't currently have, and it would be a skill set that just isn't all that expensive. It just isn't for the kind of market that he has right now, I think. And so for me, that dream signing would be Jarek McKinnon. 
Yeah, he's the only guy I think that that somebody that is intriguing for us that isn't really being talked about a whole lot. You know, I think guys at corner, guys at edge, you know, guys at guard, like every everything's covered there. There wouldn't really be like an underrated, undervalued, under the radar type of signing at those positions. I think McKinnon last season there were three running backs that had both a 75-plus receiving grade from PFF and a 75-plus pass-blocking grade from PFF. Two of those players were Deion Lewis and Jarrett McKinnon. Um, the other one was Devontae Booker, uh, and then Le'Veon Bell came just under that. His pass block was like just, it was like 74-point-something. Cut the guy. Um, so that lets you know, that again, pass game is what is really important at that position. That's what the 49ers don't have right now. Uh, he's somebody that is is very competent in both phases, both the receiving and the pass blocking, and that can come in and uh, be an impact player, I think, for the offense. We know Kyle Shanahan knows how to use running backs and probably get them involved, probably get more value out of that running back from a receiving standpoint than a lot of other offenses would. Um, so I think, yeah, he could come in, be a pretty cheap player and, and have a solid impact on the offense. There's one play that keeps playing in my mind when I think of what Kyle Shanahan does with the running backs and specifically pass catching running backs. And that's what he did in the red zone with Tev- I'm, uh, Tevin Campbell. It's Coleman. I know, but Tevin Campbell's the guy, uh, who, you know, was part of my youth and he sang lots of R and B songs. And so whenever I think of a Tevin, I immediately think Tevin Campbell. I don't uh, even know who for- that is. Oh, man. For those of you who grew up in the 90s and listened to, you know, poppy R&B in the 90s, you know who Tevin Campbell is. David, I don't think he got a lot of Tevin Campbell in Nevada. Uh, but <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah. But no, Tevin Coleman running uh, a sale concept from the backfield in the red zone for a touchdown. Like, that's the kind of ingenuity and versatility that Kyle Shanahan can can both put his running back in a position to successfully do, but then also hit defenses with something that that that, that they just don't expect, and and that's what you that's what Kyle Shanahan can do, and that's what a really really good pass catching back can do, and that's why I think Jerry McKinnon would be would be kind of amazing. But uh, other player in this area, kind of not necessarily a dream signing, but someone is like, should we go after them? Is going to be Tyler Eifert. So, do you think Tyler Eifert should be someone that you go after given his injury history? As always, depends on the deal. Sure. Right? I think um, Tyler Eifert's market's probably going to be closer to a two, three-year deal. Like, it may maybe even be a one-year prove-it deal. I think one year makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's there's very little risk with a one-year deal. Um, it's it's difficult to imagine that even on a one-year deal, somebody with his injury history, like, I mean, it's really significant injuries. Um, you know, nothing that's just kind of like, oh, we had an ACL once, and, you know, that's going to be, everything's going to be fine. Like, he's got a lot more going on. Um it's hard to imagine that he's going to get a lot of guaranteed money, even in a one-year deal. So, yeah, I mean, if that's the scenario that actually plays out, by all means, bring him in. Let's see if yeah. he can keep him healthy. He's an incredibly talented player um, that, if he's on the field, is going to make a pretty big impact for your team. So, yeah, go after him. If all of a sudden teams are going to be willing to give him a multi-year deal or guarantee him more money, then you're probably going to pass and be like, nah, it's, I don't think it's worth the risk at that point. But yeah, if it's that one year prove it scenario, absolutely bring them on in. All right. So last question, and this is not a fan inspired question. This is my own. Uh, what's the one guy that you want to see the Niners sign? Malcolm Butler. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, it's gotta be corner. And, and so for me, yeah, it's, it has it, to be. It, it, it's gotta be corner. It just, it has to be. And, and, the team is targeting corner. I mean, the fact that they're talking about Aqib Tlaib, the fact that they brought Vontae Davis in, like they know that corner is a position of need. And I just want the Niners to hit that hard, and I want them to hit it heavy. And I think that's a big free agent signing. And I, d- I don't think that precludes them from drafting a corner high. And and, and they should. I mean, you you go and get a, a, a vet player that you're expecting to be, you know, again, immediate impact there in a Butler, or if it ends up being Johnson, I think that's totally fine too. Um, but yeah, you need to still go get another defensive back yeah. in the draft for yeah. sure. That can come in and like, again, pass coverage is so important. Your ability to stop the pass as the defense is, is really what makes you in today's game. Um, you can't have enough players on the back end that can cover flat yeah. out. 
All right, so that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks to everyone who sent in a question. Uh, it was definitely fun both reading them and answering them prematurely on Twitter uh, and, <laughs> and also, in some cases, answering them again on the show. If you've liked what you've listened to, then definitely leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people discover the show, and it helps our rankings, which they're they're hand-in-hand. Hand. When people search 49ers and they see a high-ranked show, they're going to listen, so it definitely helps us out. Uh, if you didn't like what you hear, fuck off. Uh, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to hear uh, a review from you. Yeah, don't, don't. Please don't leave a review. Yeah. If that's just uh, you know. You can stop downloading. That's fine. We I still. Guess. Lo- we still love you. Download. Don't listen. That's would, an option. I would give you a hug. I would buy you a beer. Uh, just don't leave a review. What I'm saying. Sure. Uh, we've got uh, still. It, we're trugging along here. The combine and we're, we're digging and draft stuff now. Finally, and yep. we're gonna have some draft episodes coming up pretty soon. But free agency starts really soon. It starts on Monday, basically. And yeah, we should hopefully have, I mean, by the time that we're ready to record next Wednesday, I mean, that's the first day officially of free agency. Hopefully we're going to have some news. You know, we're expecting to go out and at least be connected to one or two names at the top of the market yeah. there to, to hopefully get under contract. And, and so we'll have that. Um, and then depending on how things go from there, we may or may not do another free agency episode yeah. or may just dive into the draft. Yeah, so we're looking at the, the third week in March to either kick off our draft coverage or do another recap of free agency, depending on how it, it works out. But then after that, we're going to have uh, a recap of the draft. And then we're going to go dark for a bit because David is getting married. True story. Yeah. So and then we're, we're both going to go out of the country at different times. Correct. So uh, we're not actually having co-honeymoons, believe it or not. <laughs> That that does sound like something that we would do, but you know, I don't think David's wife would allow him to marry me again. <laughs> uh, would not be on board. Would, <laughs> decidedly not be on board. So that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. And as always, go Niners. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Verge Cast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.